0: All right, so good to have everybody back again with us. We will be picking up our next installment of our satirological voyage, if you will, and we're going to be picking up tonight in particular dealing with the topic of what is salvation, or better yet, what is salvation as it relates to the tenses of time from a oneness Pentecostal understanding so. Please let somebody know we're ready to go and uh, let's get started. Well, probably on the outset, the most important thing that is going to need a clear establishment is going to be, again, the reaffirmation of what we mean by the word salvation as stated in the previous installment of this series, salvation can refer to any kind of deliverance, preservation, or liberation, uh, essentially. But in the context of theological salvation, we are referring specifically to a deliverance from the power and effects of sin. Now, from the Bible, it is apparent that salvation As we understand it, especially as uh, Apostolic Pentecostals, it is present within three tenses of time. We have salvation in the past, we have salvation in the future, and we of course have salvation that's enjoyed in the present. And because we understand salvation in these temporal modes, (laughs) no pun intended. Can say we are saved in the past tense, meaning that because we have had a salvation experience, Acts two thirty eight, we repented of our sins, baptized us in water in Jesus' name, we have received the Holy Ghost. Uh, this event or the initiation of entering God's church can position one to be able to rightly say that they have been saved. Now, because we understand salvation is a journey, it is a process, not to say that we are receiving future installments of justification or something to that extent, but we understand that it is a journey in a relationship, that there is a essential perseverance of what we have believed to enter into the relationship that must be continued on in order to continue to enjoy the benefits of the relationship we have with God. And this concept really shouldn't be too foreign to us because conceptually, this is how we enjoy any relationship. Uh, There has to be a continuation of some ground principles. So when we understand the past working of salvation, to get more specifically, we would understand this meaning a person has had a exact experience in time where they have received the necessary forgiveness of their sins in order to walk effectively within the power that God has given them. An example of this uh, is exemplified in Titus 3 and 5, where it says, uh, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, But according to his mercy, he saved us when it comes to salvation. The Lord himself is the the complete and only party that takes the glory in the saving process. Now, what's interesting, I was having this conversation with some friends, of course, who have what we would call more reform position. And uh, they were saying that the. portion of the scripture, of course, says say through the washing of regeneration, one portion, but interestingly enough, John Calvin even saw that washing as water baptism, but I'm getting off topic, but essentially, as it relates to the tenses of time, we can say that we are saved presently because we have continued in that relationship with him that we have initially experienced when we entered into the covenantal new birth. This is how we can properly say that we are saved presently, that we are continuing in the freedom and the deliverance from the sinful state that the atoning work of Jesus Christ has afforded us. This is uh, probably one of the most evidential aspects of grace, the continual deliverance from sin. I think Ephesians 2 and 5 really correlates it, that it's, by the grace of God that we are saved so essentially the resurrection and the life of Jesus Christ his blood atonement all of these things that have purchased our salvation free us from sin gives us the foundation for having present victory in the way of God now some may feel that it is because something they're doing in the instance but we as apostolics, we understand that more than one thing can be true at a time. I think some would probably say we're synergistic. Uh, and for that, I would not deny. But just because we believe there is a synergistic effort in the relationship, it doesn't mean that we initiated the relationship. It doesn't mean that we are the grounds of the relationship. Uh, I think Romans 5 and 10 and First John 4 and 4 really gives evidence of that. And so, with understanding the basis of salvation in the past, understanding salvation uh, as its framework in the present, there's only one-tenth of time as it relates to salvation that we have to understand, and that is the future salvation. Now, many times this aspect of salvation is probably the most perplexing for those who probably are not as familiar with our satirological expression in the, as one of the Pentecostals. What we mean by salvation in the future is that there is still a salvific aspect of God's plan of redemption that has not been totally realized as of yet. As of right now, even though we through the power of the Spirit, when we walk in the Spirit, we are not Subject to fulfill the lust of the flesh, we still have the original sin nature within us that desires to do wrong. And I believe probably one of the most profound examples of this is uh, a bird that flies. Now, as long as the bird is flying, the bird or birdie flaps his wings; he is overcoming the law of gravity. But as Whenever the bird says, you know what? I don't want to flap my wings anymore. The law of gravity goes back into effect. The same thing is true with us in the power of sin in this world. It does not have power over us in this life. As long as we walk in the free victory that has been provided to us by the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we are essentially in a place of waiting for a future aspect of salvation that romans 8 23 and philippians three twenty through 21 uh calls the glorification of our current state this will be the place that our mortal bodies will experience the full resurrection of uh, and glorification to the place that the sin nature from the fall of Adam will be permanently removed from our being. It will be at this time that we will no longer be subject to sickness, pain, the temptation of sin, or even as 1 Corinthians 15, 51-57 says, there will be no more death, no possibility. Death will be swallowed in victory. This is the last and final aspect of the progressive plan of salvation, uh, again as stated as glorification, and as a good proof basis of that is in Romans eight thirty. And you may be wondering, will, when will this essentially occur? That's a good question. This will occur at the Lord's return, for when He comes back to rapture His church. Now, because I am a uh, premillennial post tribulationist, I do believe that it's going to be before the millennium, uh, after the tribulation. Uh, if you don't agree, that's fine, but we understand that he is coming back. And when he comes back, we shall be just like him for we shall see him as he is. And of course, another proof text, uh, and I hate to use the phrase proof text because I hate proof texting, but first Thessalonians four verses 14 through 17 and first John three and two. And so with this understanding, we can understand that there is still a futuristic or futurist tense to our salvation. Acts fifteen eleven says, But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. Now, this is interesting. Uh, Luke is writing as a person or uh, giving his uh, memoir of what he remembers from the journeys in the book of Acts. And why is it that a person that is saved, talking about a future uh, time of salvation, because he understands that there is a future aspect to it. One portion of Scripture in Romans thirteen eleven says, "For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed, than when we initially came into relationship with Jesus Christ." Hebrews nine twenty eight. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the what the second time without sin unto salvation so there is this expectancy there is an energetic looking there is a a a waiting and longing for the full realization of those things that God has promised us so what we're going to look at next is going to go into the relational aspects of past present and future salvation so Stay with us and uh, let's keep studying. All right, and we're back and we're picking up with our examination of the temporal aspects of salvation, which we're going to be looking at the relational aspects of salvation in the past. Salvation in the present and salvation in the future. Now, as stated previously in the first segment, that we understand that there are obviously three tenses of salvation. We have future salvation, past salvation and present salvation. But I think sometimes the reason why people don't really understand the temporal economy of salvation is because there is not a healthy understanding of how these aspects relate one to the other. So those who are saved in the present have full assurance that as they persevere to the end in right relationship with God, which is exemplified by the works of uh, the spirit that's exemplified by the fruit of the spirit, it is a further guarantee of continual uh, right relationship with God. Probably one of the biggest misunderstandings of Pentecostal soteriology as it relates to the baptism of the Holy Ghost is that we believe that just because a person speaks in tongues, that that means that they're good from all out, that it's like a one and done. But we see all of these experiences, glossolalia, all of them are signature of the new birth experience initially, but there must be a perseverance of right relationship unto righteousness for it to be fully effective. And for those who have been initiated and they're continuing, a once past salvific experience, authentic, of course, in this context, does not inevitably guarantee that a person will be saved. You may be saying, well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life and for that i emphatically agree but just because you are born does not mean that you're going to go all the way there is a mandatory perseverance and there is a host of scriptures that i could reference at this point as it relates to the uh, aspect of eternal security but i think i'm going to just wait in another episode so go ahead and put your filters out for that that's going to be coming but we are responsible for how can we say not keeping our salvation, but continuing in salvation. Uh, We have received salvation, and so we understand this to be in the same sense that as past salvation has happened through faith in Jesus Christ, we will only receive salvation in the future as we continue to walk in that same faith and trust and obedience to the Lord. I think the Lord said in one portion of scripture, he says, uh, don't call me Lord, Lord, if you're not going to do the things that I say. And this is really demonstrated with a whole host of biblical proofs. Jesus taught the absolute necessity for a person that seeks to abide in him, that they must keep his commandments. This is shown in St. John 15, verse uh, one through 14. And it said, he that endure to the end shall be excuse me uh that's matthew ten twenty two. uh that he that endure to the end uh, shall be saved but he also uh, bears witness to the fact that if you love me you will keep my commandments uh, we see another portion of scripture that says whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life saint john three sixteen. 16 in this last verse the word believeth is in the present tense, implying the continued present belief. Uh, this is the absolute relational necessity in order for salvation to be effective at the coming of the Lord. So we even see this continued thought process assumed by the apostles within their doctrinal stances. Uh, it would be the apostle Paul in Romans 1, 16 through 17 that says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Salvation will come to those who move forward in the faith that they have as Jews says, once for all received to those who continue to live by it. We even find further statements in Philippians 2.12 where Paul says, work out your own soul salvation with fear and trembling. Now this doesn't mean uh, as some people do when they Mad with the pastor and they get mad with the church, and I'm just going to go on my own vigilante experience. I'm going to do what I want to do. This is my thing. No, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about continuing in right stance and relationship with God. That at the end of the, the, end of the day, you are the party or the agent that is responsible for being in relationship. Now, this doesn't mean that we can save or earn it ourselves, but this definitely means that we cannot be tricked out of the kingdom. There are even other uh, similar scripture admonitions like 1 Timothy 4.16 that tells us to take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt save thyself, listen, and them that hear thee. The importance of right doctrine, Uh, you will save yourself. He goes on to say uh, in another portion of scripture that I think is just beautiful, Romans 11.22 Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fail severity, but toward thee goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt thou shalt all be cut off. That's that's very sobering because I believe the Lord is giving us a real example of the seriousness that this is something that must be continued in. First Corinthians 15 verses one through two. I declare unto you the gospel by which also you are saved. If you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. I want you to think about that seriously. How does a person believe in vain? right. It seems to me the apostle Paul is making it very clear that just because you have had faith is not a guarantee that you will continue in faith Uh, If you do not uh, adhere to what the Lord has called his people to stand in, we see other passages. And of course, there are other instances that show that one can lose salvation. Uh, Galatians 5 and 4, 1 Timothy 5, 12, Hebrews 12, 14 through 15, James 5, 19 through 20, 2 Peter 1 and 10, uh, 2 Peter 2 and 1, 2 Peter 2, 20 through 21 and Revelation 3 and 5. What we have to understand is that, yes, we have had a past uh, experience of salvation, we're having a present experience of salvation, but there is an essential continuance of right relationship with God that is required to receive future glorification. It's at this point of the conversation that usually someone will ask with good intentions, How is it that one can live right in this present world? At least that's how we say it, Uh, live right, which when we say that we're really talking about the way of holiness. Uh, This is why in the next installment of this series, we're going to pick up with the Lord's statement to Nicodemus. We're going to go over these revelatory insights into how one enters the kingdom of God in the gospel of St. John, the third chapter. So I look so forward to seeing you next time. Please let somebody know if you know there's someone that needs to be saved, that needs to be baptized in water in Jesus name, needs to receive the Holy Ghost. Get them on this series. Perhaps this can be a tool in the hand of the master to bring them to a deeper, meaningful relationship with him. Thank you for coming by. And as always, it is the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. The Lord bless you in Jesus' name.